Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I am your host, Tara Clark, and you know here on Modern Mom Probs, we're trying to solve the world's modern mom problems, but hey, you know what? If we can't, at least we're having fun talking about them. If you like what we're doing on the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review because you know what? That's cool too. Today is our season two finale, and I am so excited to have the amazing Dr. Elisa Pressman on the show. We're going to be talking about her five principles of parenting. Dr. Elisa Pressman is a developmental psychologist with nearly two decades of experience working with families in healthcare providers who care for them. She's also the host of the hit podcast, Raising Good Humans. Eliza, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You know that I love seeing you every day. <laughs> oh, that, that really, it, it fills my heart with such joy. We were just chatting for, gosh, I don't even know, probably 10, 15 minutes before I hit the record button, talking about all different things, living in New York City, living in Los Angeles, being part of the Mount Sinai family. There are just so many different things that we covered, so many different overlapping parts of, of our lives. I'm such a huge, huge fan of your work, huge fan of your podcast, and now a huge fan of your book. Yay! And so that's oh, so much. Yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. You are, like I said, a multi-hyphenated absolute superstar. In my opinion, you are the voice of a generation of parents. For those who don't already know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a developmental psychologist, which is a little bit different than what people think of when they think of psychologists. Usually, they're thinking of clinical psychologists who are looking at it more of a disease and intervention lens. And developmental psychology is really looking at how we come to be who we are, change over time, social, emotional, and cognitive development. So I think of it as just different lenses to the fields, but all very important and meaningful. And I, what else? I just love, I love the idea that humans are so cool and complicated. And so I set out to figure it out and understand it probably from being a witness to lots of interesting people growing up. And I started working with parents once I had my children, cause I was like, Oh, there's all the stuff I know academically, but then there's something so interesting about wanting to share that without oversharing the minutia and the gobbledygook, it just felt like I could be supportive. And then, I don't know, I also feel that way about healthcare providers. So that's how we started the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. What else can I tell you? I'm a mommy. Yeah, you're a mommy. You're a mommy now enjoying the the beautiful Los Angeles sun while I'm here in cloudy New York City, but that's okay. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and, and, you know, you mentioned Mount Sinai. Funny thing, my son was born at Mount Sinai. My husband works at Mount Sinai. We are part of the Mount Sinai family as well. It's a really special and enormous institution. 
It really is. It really is. And, and they have fantastic pediatricians like the co-founder of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center with you. Shout out to Dr. Hammond. She's awesome. Yay. <laughs> okay. So in this, you know, high pressure parenting age, right? It's, I mean, I talk about this all the time. You talk about this all the time. When so many of us feel the need to get it exactly right, and I'm using that in quotes, how do we weed through all of this information overload? I think about this constantly. It was the primary reason I wrote this book which is ironic, I recognize, because (laughs) it needs more, which is why I didn't write a book for so many years. I was like, oh my God. But I think the key is, first of all, recognizing that we're never getting this right, in quotes, because that would be, who, who knows what's right? We can pretend to know, but that's ridiculous. We know a little bit about what would be better than something else. But I think each parent knows what feels right for them. So I would say the first thing is to find some support that has a voice that makes sense for you and that doesn't give you a stomach ache or a sense that you're less than, whoever that may be. I always want people to shut me off immediately if they're if they have that feeling of like, oh God, I I screwed that up. And then I think the noise is most things because very little really, really matters for long-term outcomes. So just reminding yourself, like, what really matters to me? What are my values as a parent? And what information is going to impact that? And can I just turn the volume down to the other stuff and say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But it really doesn't make a difference in the big picture. And then the other information that I think is valuable is what will make my day-to-day just a pinch easier. Yeah. That's a big one for modern parents. Yeah. So many people are time crunched. So time crunched. And then I also feel like, but not, you don't want so much information because I've heard people say like, I, I didn't have the right words and it breaks my heart that like we've, we live in such a scripted prescriptive way of parenting that parents now feel crappy about themselves because they didn't have the right words. Those words aren't studied by researchers. Those are just like, you know, all right, we'll, we give this a whirl. <laughs> like based on what you know, here's a script that I can suggest, but it's it's not, It. I feel like there is some space between the chaos of knowing nothing and the rigidity of knowing too much that is the sweet spot for letting go of this hyper information age. I agree a thousand percent that I I can speak, you know, only for me anecdotally that once I shed those scripts, which weren't working for us in the first place, because my son is not one of those types of personalities where he would adhere to a script. And then it just obviously didn't come across feeling natural anyway. Once I shed that, and then I sort of just followed my gut, obviously, with all of the the reading that I do for the parenting guides, that made the biggest difference of all. So you're right. There is a sweet spot in there. There is a spectrum of it. I like the just even the framing of shedding. It's just so freeing. And I do think like it's developmentally appropriate to come into this birth of being a parent and saying, I want to get this so right. Like, of course you do. This is a human that you are raising. At the same time, there is that shedding of the stuff that is making it harder to get it right because you're too busy trying to 
be so perfect. And it's so nice. And the shedding of the scripts is also just so freeing because it's also, even if the scripts work a couple of times, then what? So you're much better off kind of finding your own center as a parent and getting that confidence. But I totally get that it's, that evolves with time and practice and being so exhausted that you're like, ugh, I can't deal anymore with that. (laughs) It's true. It it definitely is an evolution, I think, over time. And you speak about this quite a bit in your new book. And I'm going to hold it up right here. But it's The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. In this book, you distill it to a handful of strategies, but five main principles. So it's Relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. I have to say I love every single one of those. I think those are top, top tier concepts. Can you break that down for us? Sure. Okay. So I really wanted to get like in in clearing the noise, just think like what in the research that's been decades in the making, not revolutionary, just like now it's maybe expressed more often, but what actually matters. And those were the five that felt like over time across all the ages and different cultures and different temperaments, these still stand strong. So relationship is our connection with our child and frankly, anybody else. And it can be thought of as the attachment relationship or the sense of attunement or the sense of Ultimately, your child feels like you love them and you get them and you love them for who they are. And so that connection is going to be so resilience building and important. And then reflection is on us to just take a moment and breathe and think like, what the hell is going on here for me? (laughs) And so much of the things that we struggle with with our kids have nothing to do with our kids or anything today. It's just, we haven't really come to terms with all of the feelings that emerge as parents that are part of our history, part of our experience being parented. And so taking a moment to reflect can save days of conflict. And then it allows for regulation. And I love the idea of letting go of and shedding. I'm going to just use shedding all the time now, but Shedding the sense that you're always supposed to be like a chill, happy, calm parent without letting go of the whole idea of it. It is nice to be regulated because when you have regulation, you have choice about how you, what emotions, what attention you give, what behaviors you have to respond to anything that comes your way. And Kids, because their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until they're into adulthood, it means that they don't have as much access to self-regulate. And really, if you think about it, it's just telling your internal alarm system whether or not there's a real emergency or an imagined one. And so if you can self-regulate and say, there is nobody, a a saber-toothed tiger is not chasing me, I can breathe and take a moment to make a decision here you are now co-regulating with your child and sort of lending them that calm until they have access to it themselves. And even if you aren't calm, even if you're like, no, I actually, I want to yell right now. At least you've made the intentional choice to do it. So you don't feel the shame spiral of like, I lost it again. And then 
do, do, do. What is the next one? Rules. <laughs> so rules are the boundaries that we have with ourselves and others and the expectations and limits that we set for our kids. And I think they get a bad rap because people are afraid that rules mess with relationship and sensitivity of your caregiving. And so we get stuck. Like, But if I'm being sensitive and in a close relationship with my child and they are sharing with me that they should be allowed to have their iPhone all night because it's their only way of connecting with their friends, then how am I being a sensitive parent? So I have to listen to them. So I, I want to give permission that rules actually are safety. And all of us who set the boundaries that are appropriate for us know when that, and I say us, but of course this is, you know, I, I say this in the book more often than not, the rest of the time we're all flubbing it. But when you set boundaries and when you make clear what your expectations are and what limits you're setting, it makes life easier for your kids, even if they don't like it. And it makes life easier for you. So rules are really important. And they just, I think the trap is if you have rules without relationship or relationship without rules, that's when you get into the funky territory. And then the last one is, of course, repair, which is the thing that keeps us all going. We get another opportunity to engage and interact and repair. And all the research on repair is like relationships, whether it's couples or parent-child, they are not in a tuned dancing mode all the time. Most of the time they are in rupture and repair mode. And that's okay. It's the the key is that you can come back and repair. And that is like the added bonus that your child grows up not panicking when there's a sense of mismatch with another person in their life because they don't have this sense that there is no repair. I think that's it. I think if you get those, you're good. That, that, but, but honestly, yes, it really is. Because as you were going through those, I am sitting here thinking about examples in my own life when we've done something or haven't done something or could have some, done something better. And luckily, you, you sometimes have the uh, benefit of hindsight in that. But, but I agree. And when you were talking about the rules without relationship, that is when there tends to be some conflict that I know, you know, with my son, he and I have a very good relationship and, and I work towards that. And I know he works towards that. And, and so luckily I have to say like, we don't really fight on a a lot of things. And so if I say, you know, let's finish up with the iPad, let's put that away for the evening. He won't necessarily fight me because we have cultivated that relationship. But I know if that were, if that weren't the case and I was just coming being like, okay, you've had your two hours, that's it, put it down. Then it, you know, it just wouldn't have the same outcome. And so I I think that's interesting that you labeled it that way. Cause I, I guess I'd never really had given it much thought, but that is absolutely true. I think it's funny too, that we, we associate even, even the sort of like bummed out reaction as, as problematic, but it's really only problematic in the context of having a crappy relationship. Otherwise, 
you have the stability of knowing like my kid's annoyed with me right now, but we're, that's survivable. Or my kid is really upset because they don't, you know, like don't like this limit that I set, but you're not like, I hope they still love me. Yeah. That's never a thought in my mind. It's never a thought in your mind and it's never a thought in their mind because the relationship is strong. So then the boundaries are there for safety and the limits are there for learning how to move through the world without, you know, you need them. We can't just like send them off into the world and have them just like step on everybody that comes in their way. We, we are in relationships with other people and we have some kind of obligation to being a member of the larger society. I've been trying to work on mindfulness with my son by introducing him to meditation techniques. And in doing this, I realized, you know, Tara, you could really benefit from meditation too. What else is a better way to start good habits than by modeling them, right? So I started listening to the Women's Meditation Network. It has all different types of podcasts from anxiety meditation to sleep to morning meditation. Personally, I really enjoy the daily affirmations because they're just about 10 minutes long, which is just right for me and my schedule. Whether you're an experienced meditator or you're just getting started, check out Women's Meditation Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Aliza, what one of the things that I love about your book is that it's filled with these like micro meditations and really like actionable practices. In one of them, you describe a practice where to regulate yourself, you need to look around the room and name colors that you see to calm yourself down. I loved that one. I've never read that anywhere before. And I thought to myself, gosh, that is one I'm going to just put it in my pocket and keep it for when I really need it. Why did you feel it was necessary to include these, like I said, micro meditations and practices? So I discovered mindfulness a little late in the game, I would say 10 years ago. And I got pretty into it and pretty fascinated by it. But I also got a lot of feedback from parents that like, it's for another day for them. (laughs) you know? And then I got so interested in it that I did this two-year certification program, not because I'm going to go off and be a mindfulness teacher, but just so I knew what I was doing when I would incorporate it in my day-to-day work. And what I found is that a lot of the meditation stuff that really does help self-regulate us is just unattainable for busy parents. I didn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So I was like, let me just take them and turn them into super quick moments that can get us regulated and get us just in the practice of it and things that you can do wherever you are. And hopefully those are also things that you can do with your kids so that everybody starts to build those muscles and things like taking a moment to look around the room and just find five different colors really just grounds you. So when people say like, well, what does that grounding mean? Or what does being present for the here and now mean? It just means like you literally are thinking about this is where I am in this moment. So you're not fixated on the past or the future and you can really assess the moment more clearly. So I liked those little micro meditations that give us that like a little taste of it, but with the reality of what it's like to be a parent. Yes. I I think reflection is probably 
one of the biggest things that we could do. Reflection and leading into regulation is one of the biggest things that we could do in our parenting. And I think it's something that so many people take for granted. Just the other day, we were at the supermarket and there was a father who had snapped at his daughter because she had grabbed his cell phone. I think she wanted to look at a photo or something and he snapped at her and it broke my heart because if he would have just taken a second reflected on that, regulated himself before he he, you know, snapped at her, I think that their relationship would be very different. And again, I don't know them. I don't know them from Adam. It was just a snapshot in time, right? It was just that that first impression of seeing that. But maybe he, you know, he did in invoke repair, right? Maybe he did say, I'm sorry about that. I don't know. But but it was actually a couple times throughout we we were in Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's isn't even that big of a store. Every single time we saw them, he was like snapping at her about like a different thing each time. And 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 that's why I'm saying it, it just broke my heart. But the reflection is so important for like like I said, the regulation in that, right? If that in that moment, when he, before he snapped at her, if he just stopped and he looked up in the produce section and he said, I see green and yellow and orange and red and blueberries and, you know, went through all of the different colors of the rainbow, maybe his response to her would have been different. I think so. And I think if he had said, like, I get really pissed off when I go to the grocery store and I'm really just in a rush and I know this about myself, so I'm going to do a, you know, like pick five things that I notice before I respond to my kid, it would totally save those moments. And yet he can repair, but it does feel like if we could just take a breath and get control over the decisions that we make, well, all things, you know, the whole world would have fewer problems, but I often feel like the wisdom of mothers is we know this. We really do. It's just a matter of accessing it. And I think it's so interesting right now. Like there are a lot of books that are out, not in the parenting world, but in the like just world of figuring out how to be an adult or like people who are writing these books, mostly men that are writing these books in this discovery time when kids are off to college and they're finding that relationships, for example, really matter and reflection really matters. And I'm noticing like, it's all this stuff. It's just that it's something that some people don't discover until they're finished with the parenting part. But actually I I really do feel like these are, these are unlocking what is much more natural for more typically mothers and if we can't access it, reflection gets it back. Yes, it, it's true. It, these are things that, I mean, now with the benefit of what I do for a living by having the opportunity to interview and chat with wonderful people like you who write these wonderful books, I'm able to, you know, tap into certain things in a certain way that I then shared it with my husband because he doesn't necessarily see things the way I do, or he won't necessarily, you know, react in the same way that I do. And I say, no, like try it this way or try it that way. And so I I think it's interesting that you were saying that mothers tend to be more in tune with their children's needs in a certain way. And so I'm trying, I'm trying one person at a time to- to It really only takes one, one caregiver who's kind of pulling this weight, but it's so nice when you have the option of multiple. And I do love that this is accessible to men too. Like dads, that they don't want as many details typically. I mean, I am getting so stereotypical here, but 
I, I definitely have worked with thousands over time and most of them are not like, I, I will say that what I often hear from dads is like, what do I absolutely have to know? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I can see that. that yes. I, I see where you're coming from with that. My husband, he is wonderful. He tries so hard and he reads and he cares and, and he carries the mental load. He really does. So, so he is incredible in doing this hard work. But going back to what you were saying is like, he at the same time says, okay, how do I distill it? Okay. Now what right, do I right. do? Let's be efficient about this. So I wanted to be efficient about it. <laughs> And you were, because look, you, you whittled it down to five principles. You could have had 50 principles, but you said, no, I think five makes sense. I think five made sense. I wanted it to be within a handful so that we could all do it. And then I really think it's wild to accept the fact that you can talk about challenges from birth through adolescence and you're really responding the same way. You're just adjusting for age. Yes, it's true. I mean, if you think about it, like the toddler tantrums are very similar to the teenage tantrums. And so if you have the right tools to equip either both yourself and your child at that time, then it makes a huge difference. But they're not so far off. I, I think I would have loved to have had those tools in my armamentarium back when my son was three. Luckily, I do now that he's 11. And you are really, yeah, you're, you're getting right into adolescence. Oh, we're going, we're marching, marching, firmly marching right into adolescence now. But, but like I said, we, we do have the tools and we do work really hard at this. You know, obviously, you know, I, I read the books, I, I read through all of the bo- the parenting books that I receive. And I have to tell you, yours is stellar. Yours might be I'm going to go out on a limb here and other people may be upset when I say this. Yours might be the best that I've read. Oh my God. That's so kind and makes me so happy. No, because it's true. Not that long ago, about two weeks ago, I was, maybe it was a little bit longer. About two weeks ago, I was sitting down and I was writing my parenting style out just just because I just felt like it, right? And and the different things that I was writing was literally the stuff that you're talking about in your book. And so just to see sort of the parallel, this was before I read your book, right? So it was independent of that. But I was saying, you know, it's, it's connection. It's the relationship. It's the, it's the regulation. And I didn't have rules or repair, but I think those are super, super important. But it, it's showing up for yourself and for your child in a way that is really truly you. It's not like, oh, I'm going to pretend to be the perfect parent. I'm going to pretend to be the perfect child. It's like, I am flawed and my child is flawed. But here we are showing up flawed together and working through it together. It's so, and and that flawed is like not a, you know, it's not unique. We all are. I remember saying to my, (laughs) my daughters once, many years ago, like, guys, I just, (laughs) I just want to check in and make sure, you know, I'm not perfect. (laughs) They were like, we are a hundred percent certain of that, not to worry. Because I think I, I so often am like, listen, it's no favor to your kids to be perfect because then the burden is on them to think that it's even attainable. And so I must've been saying it enough that I was like, you know what, I should just check in with my kids, make sure they don't think I'm perfect. Anyway, it turns out I was not I was, there was no risk that they thought I was perfect. <laughs> I, 
I love that. I think I'm going to try that with my son later on to say, I know what he's going to say. He's like, dumb mom, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for but, clarifying. But I, <laughs> thanks for clarifying. But I do think that that's an important concept to explore because kids these days, I don't like how I said that. So like, oh, these children. Um, no, but, but seriously, kids these days have a lot of, lots of expectations on them. You know, there's, it's the school achieving high, high grades in school. It's the extracurriculars. It's getting into a good college. It's all of those things that are, are in the back of their minds from day to day, navigating social stuff, screen time, social media, all of those things. Right. And so when they look at high achieving parents and then they say, well, I want to be like mom and dad and I want to go on a path like mom and dad. But, you know, ha- one, how do I get there? And two, like to feel that pressure, whether you're putting them that pressure on your children or not, they may feel that almost like through osmosis. Totally. Do you know what I mean? In, yes. in, in living a certain lifestyle and in certain expectations. And so I think that's why it's important that you said to them, like, look, I'm not perfect. I, I'm going to show up how I am. <laughs> I'm and trying I, my best to just like perfect. you are. Right. But no, I'm showing up. <laughs> trying my best when I can. But I do, I think that it is true that it's not just what we say to our kids because you're right. Even if we say like, you don't need, like, I love you for exactly who you are. And this achievement stuff is nothing to do with that. They're still watching you not fail in front of them, not, you know, like struggle and there is an underlying message that's like, well, you did all these things and you do all these things. So this must be an expectation. So how wonderful if we can show them the, you know, what's under the hood, not to make them like, not so much that there are therapists, there's no need to give them too much, but just enough to feel like, okay, okay, I'm a human, I'm a human and humans are humans. And this is the expectation is not to be anything but. Exactly. So beautifully said. Aliza, tell everyone where we can find you online and where we can pick up your book. Okay. You can find me on Instagram on at Raising Good Humans podcast, and you can find my book anywhere where you get books, but I always prefer local bookshops or bookshop.com. DrAliza.com has all the different places where the book is sold right now. And yeah, I've never done this before, so I'm not sure what else I can tell you. You're (laughs) always on the other side of it, interviewing incredible luminaries. And now you're the luminary coming on my show. It's so weird. Like, I don't know, but I'm so grateful. I have one final question for you because I'm genuinely curious to hear this. What do you think is the biggest modern mom problem facing moms today? I think the commodifying of parenting and our kids. And I don't blame modern moms. I, I think it's, it's on us to find the balance between support and burdening. And it's, yeah, I think it's that. It's really hard. I agree. Well said. It it really goes into everything that I talk about a lot on this podcast and, you know, you see on on social media because it's hard to cut through 
all of that. You're trying to, going back to what we said earlier, you're trying to weed through the information overload, trying to make a path for your family that feels true to yourselves, that works for you as a family, while having a multi-billion dollar parenting industry that's telling you all of these things. And so, yeah. It's the, it's the thing that I try to remind myself all the time. So I don't, you know, I, cause it's, a, it's a balance. You have to strike that balance in this field of, you know, I've got to deliver something, but I don't want to deliver so much that there is a sense that there's this one way that you can just keep on reaching towards and then you'll get this, you know, specific outcome. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of, I think about it constantly. It's probably not as fascinating to everybody else, but. It's fascinating to me. And that's all that matters right now between our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But, and that's why I really think this is like, so the social media is also a huge challenge, obviously, because it has all these benefits and connection and then also just like a way to feel like crap. And so I want to say that one of the things that you offer, I, I really mean this, is at least once a day, I have this like moment of laughing or feeling a little choked up because of something that you've posted where you don't feel alone as a mother because you're like, oh my God. And there's nothing that, one of the benefits that I have in my job is like, I get to sort of get inside, inside the minds of others where they wouldn't necessarily share to everybody. And what I've learned is like, we're all thinking it. Like there's so many things that people are thinking about or wondering about or feeling insecure about or questioning. And we just don't share that because, you know, that's just not the space that we're given. And so when you just do something that, that makes us all feel like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're in this, it feels really good. And that is the kind of stuff that we need more of. Not so much the like, do this, not that. Agreed. Thank you. I don't know if that made sense, but. It did make sense, Lisa. Thank you. You just made my entire day. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. And I'm so glad I got to actually have human contact. I know. Well, next time you come out to New York, then let's grab dinner. Yes, that would be so much fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another Modern Mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.